0: Well, good morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. I hope you've got a couple things with you. One is a copy of God's Word. You can be turning it to Second Peter chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the first three verses of chapter 2 today. Uh, you also need a uh, sermon notes. It's got a back and front on it. Make sure there's some back there on the table as well as a Bible if you didn't bring one. This here is just for everybody's is just for information of what's coming up. We have several things coming, including a new member celebration next week, and uh, also new member equip that happens at the 11 o'clock hour and during the second service, if if you are planning on attending that, just a reminder. Uh, if you would let me just be your pastor for a minute, I'm going to do this in both services. I'm not picking on this service uh, at all, but Last week, there was a lot of distractions, and I'm not an easily distracted kind of guy. I'm pretty honed in, and, and, uh, but just, we've got five children, and, and uh, one of them's 19 now, so we know how it is to have small kids in the service and how tough it can be to stay here, and I know everybody's bladder is starting to shrink, and now we're all going to have to go to the bathroom in about 15 minutes because I said this, but just, just make every effort um, to remember people around you. And, uh, and I think we would all appreciate that. So, so if you got your Bible, Second Peter 2, verses 1 to 3. And if, if you're new with us, this is the way we, we do things here at Parkwood. We preach expositionally, which means we pick sections of Scripture, books of the Bible, and we preach every verse. And so this is not a bully pulpit this morning. I didn't choose this text. God chose this text we're simply preaching through 2 Peter. And uh, some hard words over the next few weeks, and we need to hear them. So try to please make every effort that if you can't be here to listen to it online and, and catch up. Because this is, there's overlap in this letter. Remember, this is one letter written. There's no chapters, no verses. One letter that, Paul, that Peter is writing here. And we need to hear the whole letter in its entirety. So stand with me in honor of God's Word. Second. Peter. Peter, chapter 2. We're going to read the first three verses. We're going to stop about halfway through verse 3 and then pick up the rest of that next week. So, beginning in verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Lord, this is your word. And as you spoke this word to Peter, to your people then, so today you are speaking it to us. And Lord, may we feel that You have given this Word because of Your deep love for us. That You desire that we be protected. That You desire for all people to not be exploited. And most of all, You desire for Your name not to be blasphemed. So God, we pray for ourselves. That if there be any wicked way in us, that you will bring us to repentance. That both our lives and our words may have fidelity with your character and your holy word this morning is our prayer. So open our eyes and help us to sit up on our seats and pay attention this morning. Because what's going on in that day, in Peter's day, is going on today. And Lord, we need glorify your name and we need to defend the faith. So help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I've watched it a few times. I hadn't watched it a lot, but there was a, there was a program I, I guess it's still on, I'm not sure. Um, it's called Locked Up Abroad. You see that's where some usually they're 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 young and they just, they go to this country and somebody pays them, and the point is they're trying to smuggle something either into the country or out of the country. And there's all kind of creative ways they use to try to smuggle it. In other words, they don't write it out on their declaration paper on the plane that, hey, by the way, I'm, I'm smuggling in this, these drugs or whatever. No, they, they put them in the liner of their bags, they strap them on in crazy places, even sometimes ingest them into their bodies to try to smuggle this into the country, and why? It's well because it's deadly, it's dangerous, it's destructive, it's illegal. There's something that they just can't carry it in their checked bag or in their carry-on bag onto the plane, even though sometimes they try. What's their motive? It's always in the program. It's always the same. Why did you do it? Money, their own selfish gain. That's why they did it. And many of them spend years in prison. The whole point of the program is to try to show people it doesn't pay, but it, it doesn't keep people from trying. And this is the theme through the rest of this letter. False teachers smuggling into God's church, destructive teaching and a lifestyle to match it. It's the predominant theme through the rest of the letter, and it'll be ours. Brothers and sisters, this morning we need to understand the battle for truth is won or lost within the church. Within the church and within your own home. Second Peter one, Second Peter two, verse one, it says, But false prophets arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. I should say chapter two in your notes there. That was my era. But this is what he's saying. If you remember from last week. He's, he said that one of the ways that we know the surety of our faith is through the Old Testament prophets. And so he's staying with this. Remember, this is connected. He's saying just like in that day where there were prophets, they were false prophets at the same time, speaking a false message so there will be false teachers in this day. What is he saying? Well, it's interesting in this letter, he speaks in two ways. He speaks about these false teachers in both a present tense, but even more so in Peter's letter, a future tense. And if you, if you want to mark it, we'll be there a lot today, the Jude. Jude is a parallel book of the Bible. They're dealing with the same issues. Most, some people think they're even speaking to the same people. Jude uses it more in the present tense. In other words, when he's writing, this is, this is worse. So what Peter's writing to is a present problem, but it's also a growing problem. It's getting worse. He's trying to warn them. This is, this is here and it's only going to get worse. One quote says, There will always have been and always will be false teachers among the people of God. This is what we're talking to if you're. If you're not a believer today, quite honestly, the next few weeks we're going to be talking mostly about things in-house. This is what caused Peter is. He's writing to the church. Why? Why are there always false teachers among God's people? Listen to John MacArthur. I have several quotes for him today. He's one of the ones that's been the most boldest through the years about this issue. Quote, the church is one of Satan's primary spheres of operation. Makes sense when you think about it. Well, where would you attack? primarily if you were the devil. So the question is how do how do you know? How do I know that I'm not being deceived? We we looked at that last week. Turn with me to 2nd Peter chapter 3. He's going to come back to this in chapter 3 verses 1 and 2. Remember last week, it's the the way we know we're not being deceived is we know the reliable source for truth. He said we know that through the Old Testament prophets, and the apostolic witness. In other words, for us, the Bible. So chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says, This is now the second letter I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up the sincere reminder, by way of reminder, that you should, this is the point, that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. So this year is the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. And we need to be reminded that there were brothers and sisters who fought and died so that we could have a copy of God's Word in our language to make sure that we are not being deceived. should be thankful for that. God has preserved His Word for us. So what's the goal of all this? What's the goal of these false teachers? Well, if you got Jude... Mark that, we'll be flipping back and forth to Jude. Jude 4 says this For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were destined for this condemnation. Ungodly people, and look, here's, here's their goal who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our Master and Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about, we're going to tease that out now. But this is their goal. To pervert God's grace and to deny Christ and his work. So Peter unpacks this in the next three verses that false teachers have motives. They desire to secretly, secretly introduce false teaching, destructive teachings into God's church. They desire to discredit the gospel with their lives. And they just honestly want to swindle God's people out of their money. This is the motivation that was true in their day and is true in our day. And so, look at verse 1 with me. Remember that their teaching destroys. But false prophets also arise among the people, just as there would be false teachers among you, who will, bring, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Notice here he uses the term false teachers. And not false prophets. Most likely these guys are not claiming to be prophets. They probably diminished prophecy altogether. It was what they were teaching they are secretly introducing. We know this well because of since 9-11 and how we've had to become more and more aware of the reality of terrorism. Not only in other countries but in our countries. And have you ever heard about sleeper cells? They come in, they move in right beside of you, they work with you, they go to lunch with you, they go to the parent-teacher's meeting with you, with your kids in school, they cut their grass on Saturday just like you do. But what are they? They are terrorists. This is what these false teachers are doing. They are spiritual terrorists. Sleeper cells that come into God's church. And the word heresies here is interesting. Because it isn't until later on that this idea of heresy became to mean a teaching against the orthodox faith that's been passed down. This word now, at this time, simply means ideas. So look at that and read it that way. They are secretly introducing destructive ideas. Jesus speaks of this in Matthew 7, 15. It says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're what? Ravenous wolves. You see the destructive nature. This isn't, I've got a, these folks have got a bad perspective. They got a sort of a weird opinion on this. No, this is destructive. Jude 4 says that they have crept in unnoticed. Look with me at Jude 12. I thought this picture... Was just so enlightening. Jude 12 says these, speaking of this, these false teachers, these are hidden reefs at your love feast. Hidden reefs. In other words, do you see them? No, you don't see them. Why? Because they're right underneath the water. They're secret. They've got an agenda. 1 Timothy 1.19 teases this picture out of what happens if we don't understand God's truth and catch this false teaching. It says, holding faith in a good conscience by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. That's the point. That these false teachers secretly introduce teaching right below the surface and what it causes is shipwreck of people's faith. Man, this sounds, sounds pretty, uh, pretty intense. Is he exaggerating? Why would they, people intentionally come into God's church and, this, and intentionally, secretly try to deceive people? I mean, why would they do that? 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen 13 gives us a little bit of an idea. Remember, Jesus had the hardest things to say to the most religious people. And you know what he used to say to them? Uh, you're just following your Father. You're just serving your Master. Let's know what he says, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Verse 14, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Paul's saying in 2 Corinthians, it's no wonder. That's exactly what Satan does. They're simply following their master. Of course, his servants are going to use the same tactics as he does. So, what's their motivation? Deception. Destructive deception. So, what do they teach? The heart of their teaching is a denial of Christ. Remember that the main overarching Doctrine that they are attacking is the coming of Christ. This is the overall theme of the letter he's writing on because these people are denying the coming of Christ, denying the coming, the future judgment, and so this is the heart of what they are teaching. This is their 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 agenda to teach something that denies the coming of Christ. And oftentimes, be aware of this. False teachers minimize the difference. Oh. We're really saying the same things. Haven't we heard this? What's the point of the Reformation? It wasn't a point to it. Don't we really all agree now? No, we don't. This is what he's saying. There are destructive ideas. Listen, these are fatally destructive. This isn't that this is just going to confuse you. This is going to lead to eternal exclusion from Christ's kingdom. In other words, these people are headed to hell, and if you follow them, that's where you will go as well. That's what Peter's saying, that where they are teaching leads to eternal separation from God. Why? Because of verse one, they are denying the master who bought them. They're denying him. So what's at the root? Of this teaching. It is a denial, denial of the person and the work of Christ. what makes heresy heresy. Denying it. How? Remember the doctrine. Christ is not coming back. There's no judgment. It's what he's saying, what is he saying? Even denying the master who bought them. Do you see the picture? This is a picture of a, of a sovereign who, who purchases, who redeems a slave. He purchases him. He gives him a responsibility. So what are they teaching? They're teaching against. In other words, they've made a profession that Jesus is Lord and what they are teaching says just the opposite. They are denying false teachers, hate it, and they deny the Lordship of Christ. So, we're going to talk about this in depth next week, but let's just read the text. Where are they headed? What does it say? Verse 1. It says, they bring upon themselves swift destruction. The destructive conduct leads to their sure condemnation. We're gonna, like I said, we're gonna look at this more next week. But I want you to see three points. I want to write these down. They're true today, just like they were then. Three points that you can identify false teachers. First, they lack divine authority. Oftentimes, false prophets and false teachers claim to have went onto some kind of mountain, to went in some kind of cave, or to have some kind of vision that corrects, fills in, or helps out the Bible. Or they'll stand in front of you and say something like this. God told me to tell you this this morning. And they'll say it outside of God's word. They lack divine authority. False teachers are masters at proof texting scripture to prove their point. Number one, they lack divine authority. What else? They promise peace when God has foretold judgment. That's what they've done ever since the Old Testament. When the prophets were saying, you need to repent. You need to repent or God's going to bring judgment. The false prophets were saying what? No judgment is coming. You're okay. Do we see this today? It is a gospel with no repentance. It is to presume That the people outside of Christ can simply have peace with Christ by thinking better of themselves or saying a prayer when they have never submitted to the Lordship of Christ. It is a repentless gospel. This is what universalism teaches. This is love wins. That God's so loving and God's so good, He's not going to send anybody to hell so you really don't have a problem. This is the very thing the false teachers were preaching. We're preaching in today, and number three, they will certainly be judged by God. This is Peter's point. This is Jude's point. The word swift here doesn't mean that God's fixing to, to, to zap them like a bug. It means that they, it means surety. They will be assured of judgment. So their motive is to deceive, and they are deceiving and they are destroying with their teaching. But also, remember, they scandalize the gospel of Christ. Their teaching destroys, but it also scandalizes the gospel. Verse 2, And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. So, we've all seen these athletes that make a lot of money, and in turn, our children and even some of us almost idolized and still remember this one athlete, I don't remember who he was. And they had a picture of him in the elevator, beating on his wife. You know, everybody started trying to make up an excuse for what happened in all this. You see, influence and conduct are inseparable. And so it is in the body of Christ. Listen, this is what Peter's asserting here. That these false teachers are making, have made a profession to follow Christ. And that their godless conduct, that godless conduct among professing believers, what follows that necessarily is damage to the gospel credibility in the eyes of a watching world. That because they profess to follow Christ, yet with their conduct they are denying Christ, they scandalize the gospel of Christ, they discredit it. How? Well, we've seen they they do it through their teaching, but they also tempt others to the same godless conduct that they are a part of. And look at the text in verse 2. Many will follow. Many will follow. In other words, in the battle for truth, the body count is always high. Always high. What are they tensing them towards? Look at the word sensual. In the New Testament, this is almost always sexual. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 12, verse 21. We know a little bit about what happened in Corinth, I hope, that Paul writes his first letter and he's saying there's this immorality going on inside the church and the church is simply turning a blind eye. They're just sort of winking at it. Look 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 at this word. Notice the word sensuality again. I fear that when I come again... my My God may humble me before you. And I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier. And have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. You see the context of that word sensuality. What follows this teaching is a lifestyle. Flip back over with me to Jude 7. When Jude's talking about this, what... Place does he use as a picture? He uses Sodom and Gomorrah. He compares these false teachers' lifestyle with that which is true in Sodom. Verse 7 of Jude says, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued what? Unnatural desire. So I ask you, Let's get our context of Scripture right to start with. What kind of sexual sin was going on in Sodom? That's what he's saying in Jude. His false teachers are engaging in the same kind of lifestyle that was going on in Sodom. Brothers and sisters, what kind of lifestyle do we see Many mainstream denominations embracing under the banner of the love of Christ. It is the same lifestyle that Peter and Jude is condemning in both these letters. It leads to condemnations. In other words, the leaders embrace these lifestyles and the people follow them. Why? Why do so many people follow this stuff? Matthew 7, 13 gives us an indication. Jesus said this was the way it is, didn't He? Matthew 7 and verse 13 says this. Enter by the narrow gate... For the gate is wide, and the way is easy, that leads to destruction, and those who enter it, enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard, that leads to life, and those who find it are few. In other words, he's saying to people who enter in to the wide gate, enter it, because it's easy. It requires no repentance of sin. John MacArthur again says, Their message of independence, personal freedom, and self-exaltation is inherently appealing to fallen human hearts who would rather serve themselves than submit to Christ. So you want to be careful to not slowly and gradually be destroyed through false teaching. Be careful when teachers magnify your independence and not dependence. Be careful... When preachers magnify your personal freedom and not your submission to Christ, be warned when a church magnifies your self-exaltation and not Christ because they are headed towards destruction. They tempt others to godless conduct and they blaspheme the gospel. Look at verse 2. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. The word blasphemed here means slandered. The gospel will be slandered. This is future. He's saying, whatever's happening now, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. Why do they sit the way of truth? Well, if you look at Acts 9-2, remember when Saul was persecuting the church. The church was beginning to grow. You remember what they called the church? They called the church The way. The way. Why? Because the message was there's only one way to God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. This is what they are slandering. In other words, here's what's happening. They're professing to follow Christ. They're professing that Jesus is Lord, but their lives are slandering it. They slander it. Not with simply what they say, but how they live. They slander the gospel and it tarnishes, it disgraces, it pollutes the credibility of the gospel. Romans 2.24 Paul condemns the Jewish people for this. It's interesting, we talked about last week about the Old Testament, how much the apostles trusted and depended on the Old Testament. So in Romans 2.24, Paul quotes Isaiah when he says, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Why is it blasphemed? Why is it being slandered among the Gentiles? Because you say we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, but then you're adding some kind of work that they have to do beside of it. You're slandering the gospel. In other words, when professing Christians default on their faith, it is the gospel that takes the hit. People will forget that person in time, but the, the bad taste of the church and of the gospel lingers for a long period of time to come. When it comes to the lives we lead, our reputation is not the first thing on our mind. The gospel's reputation must be. Just an example. But make no mistake, to profess faith in Christ and to walk out on your family is simply to blaspheme the gospel that you profess. We proclaim Him with what we say, and we proclaim Him with how we live. So do you see their motives? They're destroying them with their, with, their, with their lives and with their teaching. They're discrediting the gospel with what they say and how they live. People are following them. They have to be stopped. But remember, what they really are after is to swindle people. It's what they're doing. They're swindling believers. Look at the first part of verse 3. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Again, MacArthur says they are spiritual parasites feeding on the church for selfish gain. They have a a point, they have a plan. Nothing more in many of them than a Ponzi scheme. A scam that promises high returns with little investment. You know what? It goes something like this. Just plant your seed, faith. Just plant it. Let your faith release what you really want. Their motive is personal gain. They are taking the pocket change out of poor people. And leaving them to perish. Falsehood and greed always go together. They are destroying lies with what they say. People are following their immoral lifestyle but listen look at what it says they will exploit this is a commercial term this involves monetary motivation chapter 2 verse 14 says they have hearts trained in greed this is their motivation this is primary you flip back over to jude again jude 11 says woe to them for they walk in the way of cain and abandon themselves for the sake of gain what is he saying He says they, out of their greed, won't gain. And they're they're willing to use Christ and His Word to do it. And they have have given up their souls for the sake of gain. Jude 16. And listen, understand many of this. I'm simply reading the Bible. Jude 16, I'm reading it. I'm not not interpreting it. I'm reading it. If you think... (laughs) Calling them spiritual terrorists is too strong. Listen to what Jude says. He says, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud mouthed boasters showing favoritism. Why? To gain advantage. Stark conversations, stark words for dangerous people. What do they do? They use their false words to do it. They make up these cunning precepts, these cunning ideas to swindle unassumed listeners. And who do they prey on the most? They prey on the biblically ignorant. People who don't understand biblical theology. People who don't understand the nature and the character of God. And they, they, they pick on them and they swindle them from there for one purpose. For their own gain. You ever bought... You ever bought something that was cheap and broke in five minutes? It's aggravating maybe a cheap tool from at one place. We say, oh, well, we ought all, to we all say we're not going to buy it. We end up buying it from it because it's cheap, you know. And, and you start using it, you know. Bought a whole pack of, of Phillip bits one time. I was doing, like, floors or something. And every time I started using one of them, they'd, they'd just twist. Like they made them out of rubber or something. This is the kind of stuff they're selling people. Jesus is nothing more than a means to what you want. It's just false teaching. They prey on the biblically ignorant. And listen, here's what's so dangerous they they have hijacked mass communication now to do it. They simply don't have to infiltrate here, they can come right into your home while you're sitting in your chair. They can go right into your email. Christian television and publications and conferences saw one this week had a cruise ship he's about to fill up. So he can saturate the people on that ship with false teaching. Think about this. We think about this a lot with countries like North Korea. That they're putting something destructive into a a missile that they're going to shoot over and explode it onto people. This is exactly what they're doing. These, These folks are spiritual terrorists that load their messages of mass destruction and deploy them all over the world. I have seen them in Africa with people who can't even provide for their children. And they're robbing them of their Precious few cents to fill their own perverted pockets. These are the people that Peter is talking about. And he says, make no mistake, they're coming to a church near you. Are you ready for it? This is just one reason why the New Testament's primary model is giving through the local church. You need to listen to me, I've made this mistake. This is why we have elders, plural, that hold God's church accountable. We have a mission statement that drives what what we give, who we give, and where it goes. And if you step outside of that, I'm not saying that you shouldn't, but if you examine their doctrinal beliefs... And you must scrutinize their financial practices. If not, you may find yourself subsidizing spiritual terrorists. Be careful. When we entered into the world of adoption, a wise man told me once, once there's some things in wor- worse in life than simply being poor. It is to put rice in children's mouths and give them a gospel that will send them to hell. We need to wake up to this. So what are we going to do? First, we must look at ourselves. Does what I believe and how I live proclaim His glory or deny His name? I want you to just look with me and contrast this Scripture on the screen. Does what I believe and how I live proclaim His glory? Or does what I believe and how I live deny His name? Look at Titus 1 Verse 16. They profess to know God. You see that? They profess to know God. But how do they deny Him? By the works. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by the works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good works. So, how does my life proclaim His glory? Well, He tells us in Titus 2, verse 7, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us by how we live and what we say. This is how we proclaim His glory. Does my life make the gospel believable? Philippians 2 verse 14 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Verse 16, Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. You see, even in that text, Paul's got the day of Christ eternity in mind as the very motivation of why he lives and why he labors. So very practically this morning, how should I respond to these false teachers? What should I what should I do? How can I prepare? How can I Titus one speaks to it again. It's up on the screen, verses ten and eleven. For they are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those in the circumcision party. Verse 11, here's what we must do. They must be silenced. Since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to. They must be silenced. Listen, I know sometimes you come to church and say, I can not want to do all that. I mean, why did I do it this morning? Because well, this is what scripture tells us to do. Must be corrected. They must be silenced. If they are entering into your homes and teaching you a false message, I must confront it. And so must you. So what's the positive thing that we can do? Titus 2 verse 1 tells us, But as for you, as for me, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Doctrine. In other words, I need to know what the truth is. I need to know what, what correct teaching is. So I'll know the scam when I see it. It's how we pick our music. Isaiah put our music together to the point that even if I didn't preach, you should be able to understand the truth simply by what we sing. Do you see the war this morning? Do you see it? if you see it, if you feel how deceptive this is, if you understand this morning how dangerous this is, then you will not forsake the gathering of each other because this is essential. Growth group will not be optional. And doctrine is going to be like your spiritual Kevlar to protect you and your family. Is this the way you see it? Because this is the way the Bible sees it. Important what we, what we believe and why we believe it. We must teach it. This is how we protect ourselves. Brothers, we need more elders to stand for truth. We need more deacons who are willing to serve and love God's people in truth. This is a war that's waged within the walls of your home and in the context of our church. We must love God's people with the truth. So as we close this morning, just let the God's Word on the screen. Peter in his first letter just encourages us. 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter 5, verse 8. He says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. And after you have suffered a while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Lord, this is our prayer. That You would establish us in our faith. That You would strengthen us. That You would give us a renewed zeal for the Gospel. That we would love Your truth because we love You. Because we love Your Son who came and who lived and who died and who rose again. And on these truths we must not, we will not wonder Lord, thank you for making them clear to us. Because, Lord, if you would not have told us, we would not have known. We could not have found it unless someone declared the truth to us. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that men like Wycliffe and Tyndall who labored their whole lives so that I could read your word in my language may we be so bold as to give our lives for the truth. To this You have called us all. And we will not, and we do not labor in vain because we labor for Your glory. So now, Lord, receive our worship as we stand and sing. Stand with us.